Good afternoon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm Susie Larson, and this is Live the Promise. And we are here to help you engage in a strong and active walk of faith. Really glad you tuned in. Hope you're having a fantastic day. When you think about it, family is a gift from God, isn't it? It's a gift from God, but it doesn't mean that our relationships within the family context are problem-free because we're all broken people. We make mistakes. We have hurts in our hearts, and uh, we react to things at times we shouldn't. Well, is it possible for a family to be transformed? Well, my guest today is Gary Moreland, and his story will testify that, yes, it is possible that God can redeem a family in spite of brokenness and hurts. Wait to hear his story. He joins me to share his timeless tools for family peace in his book, A Family Shaped by Grace, How to Get Along with the People Who Matter Most. So much practical advice in this book, and we've got three copies to give away. I love that we are able to give books away every single day. You know the drill. If you listen often enough, just email me, Susie, at MyFaithRadio.com. Put Family Grace in the subject line so i know this is the one you're looking for and uh, include your mailing address and three of you will get a copy probably in the in your mailbox either by the end of the week or beginning of next week so uh, let me a couple quick announcements before we hear from gary though um i'll be speaking at emmanuel christian center if you live in the twin city area or you're willing to make the trek friday night this friday night it's free it's a sisterhood event i'll be talking about god's power to restore our soul as i said it's at emmanuel christian center and you can find the information on my facebook page which is facebook.com slash deeper life in christ also faith radio is growing and we're so grateful and just want to give a shout out to our friends listening into our news and our news signal uh, as of I think today yesterday or today in Bismarck 89.1 FM I want to hear from you if you're listening from Bismarck because as a tradition every time we add a new market uh, on Love the Promise we love to hear from you and the first couple of you to email me I'm going to send you some books from our faith radio shelf also want to shout out to our friends on 94.1 FM in Hartford 93.1 FM Waterloo 104.7 FM Madison one of our two FM signals in Twin Cities, Minnesota here, 90.7 or 97.5. Or maybe you're streaming online. Either way, we're so grateful to have you listening today. Well, let me tell you about my guest. We'll get him on the show. Gary Moreland's a professional communicator with more than 30 years of radio experience, sharing his own life story and helping others share theirs. As a 25-year sober alcoholic, he describes himself, I love this, as a guy who should have died but didn't, with a wife who should have left but stayed. It's just beautiful. If anyone knows the power of grace and forgiveness, it's Gary. He and his wife, Brenda, live in North Carolina. So honored to have you on the show, Gary. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Susie. Much appreciated. Looking forward. Life is good, isn't it? It definitely is. I love that. Well, we love to start every conversation every day, Gary, talking scripture, and you chose 2 Corinthians 4.11. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life might be revealed in our mortal body. It's a powerful passage. Talk about it, if you would. Well, uh, you know, I was, uh, Paul was, I mean, literal. He would be given over to death, literal. He faced that. I don't have anything like that. But, of course, sometimes it feels like death, and so that's how I think of that verse, is sometimes there are things that feel like you're going to die. Uh, not literally, but they're just things you really hate, and it's like a, a death inside you in a way. Whether it's, I mean, I'll tell you one of the, one of the ones for me, when, and I assume it's like this with everybody, but I know it's like with me. When I have a disagreement with Brenda, my wife, or there's something in our family, there – and of course that's changed over the years a lot uh, for the good. But there's nothing more stressful than that to me, yeah. nothing. And it's like it's like the worst thing. It drains me. It's the worst thing that can happen. If I ever – when I've had a uh, disagreement with Brenda in the past, 
we've we do it now, but we don't do it nearly to the depth we used to do. And uh, but all I would could do is just I just felt dead. I felt like I just want to go to bed. This is the worst. Nothing could be that bad. Nothing can be that bad to me. Uh, in, in in human relationships and things like that. So, what is he saying there? We who are alive are always being given over to death, or to me, what feels like death, for a reason, for Jesus' sake, so that oh, there's a purpose to it. So that his life might be revealed in my mortal body, because when I'm out of it and I'm dead, or I feel like death. There's only – and if I give up and just have that little thing inside me that goes, Lord, I quit. I cannot do this. I do not know how to do this. I give up. Please help, help, help. And I say help from the depth of my soul. Mm. Unfortunately, it takes me so long sometimes to do that. But if I do that and whenever I do that, his living life sustains me. I can feel his breath in me, it's like, and he begins to show up with who he is. He picks up where I leave off. If only I would leave off sooner, hmm. he'll pick up where I leave off, and his life comes out where mine ends. And that is just constantly reminds me of what to expect. Gary, do not expect things to be great, and do not expect for everything uh, to, to be successful and f- to work it out. The expect to be falling short and for there to be a lot of pain and for it to feel like death because the Lord wants to show himself in you and to you and through you. And I love that. that I quote that verse probably more than any, any time, any other verse. Someone needed to hear that today, Gary. That is fantastic. So, uh, so we've had Emily Freeman on the show before. Friends know Emily. In fact, we invited her to on the faculty of our writers conference for next summer, but she's tied up, but we love her. And you happen to be her papa, her dad. So yep. that's, uh, yeah. That awesome? Yes. It's amazing. She's an amazing girl. Tell us, Gary, if you would, your, your backstory and uh, how this message of grace really came to be for you. Uh, no, no Christian background or anything. My grandparents went to church on my dad's side. I remember they wanted to take us, but they never talked about Jesus or anything. We would sort of go, I guess, but we didn't. I think they thought maybe it was the thing to do, but that was the most it was uh, in my life in terms of spiritual influence. And so, I mean, I do remember, Susie, this is funny. I remember one time, I think I was a teenager, and Dad said, I can't remember. He got, he, we, we were mad at each other and stuff, like you do when you're like a teenager and your dad. And he said, well, I can't remember what it was, but it came out of his mouth. Well, you believe in God, don't you? And I thought, where in the world did that come from? <laughs> we never talk about anything like that. Why would you suddenly say that? And so it was just foreign. It was completely foreign, which, of course, I would never follow up on that at the time because I didn't think there was any reason to follow up on it. But uh, Dad was an alcoholic, and he was the unhappiest person that I've ever known. I still have yet to meet. I'm sure there are unhappier ones. I've never met one as unhappy as him. He would. He was just not a happy guy, and his life was – he just was, I guess, unfulfilled or whatever. He was, had so much going for him, but he would drink, and it would make it really, really bad. He could actually be normal. When he didn't drink, and it took me till I was fifteen or sixteen, and realized, oh, it's alcohol that makes him act like that. Wow! I, it's like, why would you do that on purpose, though? Mm. You know, it's one of those mysteries. I mean, I, be, I mean, I, uh, one of those mysteries of addiction that, uh, and I became a, uh, I'm an alcoholic, so I understand that there's no explaining it, Gary. So you can't expl- have to try to explain it for your dad. But 
why would you do something that made your life worse on you and made you unhappy and made people around you unhappy? No one came to his funeral, Susie. Wow. He, we lived in a small town in Indiana where he lived and, and lived for his whole entire life. And he worked in one uh, large uh, man, uh, Cummins, Cummins Engine Company. Their headquarters is in Columbus, Indiana. No one came to his funeral. I mean, just two or three of the close family members. How can you live in a town? I mean, because no one – he couldn't connect with people. He couldn't see – he couldn't think of how anyone else felt. He could, I couldn't imagine going to dad and saying, dad, I need some advice on something, or dad, help me think about this, because he just couldn't do that. It wasn't him. <laughs> it was all kind of his viewpoint and how he felt. He wasn't mean, didn't hit or anything, just very unhappy and – that's how family life was, and walk on tiptoes if you if you if you've been raised. Many of us know what it's like to be in, in a family with an alcoholic. And when you're the adult child, we all understand the kinds of things that happen in that, and that we the enabling, uh, the walking on eggshells, so just don't rock the boat. Uh, oh, dad's home, dad's home. Shh, quiet, quiet, quiet. Everybody behave, because anything can make him mad. Anything can set him off. And he would walk around sometimes downstairs. He'd sleep downstairs. I thought all this was normal now, okay? This is all normal life, Susie. So let's jump ahead, if we could, Gary, to your your young, yeah, your married life. Um, When you got married, were you an alcoholic? uh, Actually, I was just starting to drink then, Mm -hmm. and I was starting to realize how much I enjoyed it. Okay, and so, so I drank, I, but I ended up three quarts of beer a day for fourteen years wow. after I was married. So, what was life like yeah. for your wife in those years before God got a hold of you? I lied to her, and that's the worst thing you can do with Brenda. If you know, if you know her family, sometimes we know the kind of things that would be bad to do with somebody we love, right? Well, that'd be the worst to do. I lied to her because I had to lie about how much beer I was drinking, so I would be. Drinking in the car before I came home from a regular errand or something. I didn't go to bars and stuff like that. I was a well-behaved alcoholic. Hmm. I didn't get in trouble. I didn't go to jail. I was the worst kind. I was the kind that was never going to get arrested. So I was going to be able to be a functional alcoholic all my life probably unless something bad, really bad happened. But I behaved myself so that bad thing wouldn't happen. But I didn't behave myself with her because I lied to her about how long it took me to do something because I had to have time to drink enough alcohol so that she wouldn't know how much alcohol I was drinking because then we'd have to have a conversation about it. I didn't want to have a conversation about how much alcohol I was drinking. Mm. So she thought I was, she knew I drank, but she didn't know how much. And then I was very self-centered because I'd grown up in a self-centered home. Like I just described about dad, right? Yeah. I mean, you can imagine what you're going to be when you come out of that. So that's how I was. And I had all my ways of of uh, defensiveness and argumentative and getting defensive real quick. If Brenda would say something, self-defensive. She had her ways, and you know it's a big soup. We're all it's all the same as every family and marriage that comes. You bring all that stuff and you bring your family past into it, and then you try to survive. And so we had our you know our arguments and our yellings and all that for a bunch of years. We're going to pause here, Gary. So we take a break. When we come back, I want to hear how grace found you, how you came to Christ, and how that started to transform your family. I also want to know how old your girls were when this all happened as well, and just what God has done, where you guys are now, because there's so much good content in your book about things that we need to know um, about having a family where grace is 
in place, how to woo their hearts, how to get our peace right, how to embrace God's vision for our family, not our own vision. So much good stuff here. So we're talking to Gary Moreland. We've got three copies of the book. Email if you want in on the drawing, Susie at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be back in a minute. so much for tuning in today. I'm Susie Larson. This is The Promise, talking to Gary Moreland. If you know Emily Freeman, you know her work. This is uh, Emily's dad, Gary. Uh, Their book, his book, is titled A Family Shaped by Grace, How to Get Along with the People Who Matter Most. And Gary's backstory raised uh, with an alcoholic father. Gary became an alcoholic himself within his family and kind of hid how much he drank. But let's get to the point, because I want to make sure we get to the content of your book, Gary. Where the point where, where you came to Christ and how things started to change in your family? I think it probably started when Brenda's friend, Mary, from high school, passed Brenda going the different way in an automobile, and uh, they crossed each other's paths, let's put it that way, and Mary saw Brenda and was reminded of their friendship from just a couple years ago. They hadn't seen each other. Mary had believed in Jesus, and Mary wanted her friend Brenda to know what she knew about Jesus. And so through that, Brenda ended up becoming a believer pretty quick, like within a few weeks, I think I would say. Mm -hmm. And then all of Brenda's friends, you know, start kind of trying to help the unbelieving husband, you know, to see the light, which I didn't appreciate a whole lot. It was okay. That was okay for her. It was okay. She took the kids to church and all that was okay. I'll, I'll go on special occasions. And, uh, but I, in general, stayed home and drank beer on Sunday mornings. Seriously, I did. And when they would go to church, I'd wash the dishes, though, so I didn't feel too guilty. Vacuum the floor. That way I didn't feel too bad about it. And, but, but Susie, you know, she's, her friends are telling me stuff, and no one at the time would think that I heard, but I did hear, you know. I heard, and so I was learning what the gospel was, and I was learning what the issues were, even though I never asked questions about it or engaged in any conversations and would never want them to talk about it. But over time, it ended, you know, I ended up knowing what, the, uh, knowing what the issues were. And then it's very hard to be an alcoholic, and it's very, it takes a lot of energy, and it takes all your time, and it's, you have to always worry about your supply. And it doesn't live a happy life. And uh, so I got tired of it. And one day, I mean, this could, and Brenda had been a believer now for several years. She was a believer probably for 10 plus years before I believed. One day, uh, I got so tired of it that I'd made a big mistake for an addict. I confessed my addiction to her. Hmm. <laughs> I said, Brenda, I'm an alcoholic. And she did what, exactly what she shouldn't do. Uh, if I wanted to keep drinking, and she, sh- if I wanted to keep drinking, then she should argue with me so that I could have a big fight with her. She didn't do that. She said, she broke my heart. She said, oh, no, not you. And I thought, she just left me with me and my alcoholism, you know. She didn't tell me what I had needed to stop doing. She didn't scream. She didn't get mad. She didn't give ultimatums. She didn't say she was going to leave. She said, oh, no, not you. 
And I uh, thought, well, golly, I don't think I'm going to drink the rest of today. Well, Susie, that was it. That was it. Wow. I didn't drink the next day. I didn't drink the day after that. I didn't go to 12-step. I didn't go to uh, – I would never tell anyone to, to follow my path. You know, I didn't go to any uh, sponsorship stuff. I didn't have any mentoring. I didn't go to any meetings. I just stopped. And I, it's just the Lord. And uh, so, I mean, I c- couldn't tell someone to follow my path, you know, because you can't just tell them, that, oh, just wait for this to happen. But that's how it happened for me. And But I wasn't a believer. And But about two years went by, and slowly all the things I'd heard, and, and I think my heart started opening up, and stuff started getting in without me realizing it. And I would go to church with Brenda because, oh, it's okay, I'll go. Maybe I'll just go this week. And I would hear, you know, the uh, – messages. I remember the last message I heard before I got became a believer was almost persuaded. King Agrippa, Paul, do you think you can persuade me or us here to become a Christian in such a short time? <clears throat> Go away. And that was the last message I heard. And then, and then I, some circumstances happened in work and uh, that scare you about job changes and stuff. And so one Tuesday night, I got down on my knees when Brenda was at the bank working. I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I mean, it was like, what are you doing? I could hear myself talking to myself almost. What are you doing? Lord, I give up because I, I went through this conversation myself. Gary, what do you have control over? You're, you're, losing, you're losing a job here. You always were going to have your act together. You thought you'd grow up, and you'd be a grown-up, and you'd have your act together. You don't have that. What, what do you control, Gary? What can you predict? What can you make happen? I'm in my 30s now, right? The kids are – Michael is 15, the oldest daughter. Emily's probably 11. I've been married uh, 15, 16 years, and what do you control, Gary? Okay, nothing. Could you, do you, can you uh, guarantee me, Gary, that you're not going to have cancer and die tomorrow? No. Can you make yourself be able to be employed tomorrow? No. Can you make sure Brenda's going to love you tomorrow? No, but I'm sure she will. Can you make her love you, Gary? No. I went through all those questions, Susie, and I gave up. I give up. I quit. I don't want my stinking life. Lord, here it is. Here, 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 here. You take it. And so I did all that stuff at the same time. It was give me my ticket to heaven and lordship salvation and all those things that you want to call it. Here, you. this is yours. I don't want this. 37 years old. And okay, got up off the floor. I go to pick up Brenda at the bank. Okay. Oh, well, whatever. Go pick up Brenda at the bank. Brenda, hey, Brenda, I said that prayer today, <laughs> the one she always wanted me to say, you know. And she says to me, this is how much the Lord had got her to take her hands off of something that she wanted so bad. She said, what prayer? Hmm. The one that you're supposed to say when you believe in Jesus. Oh, oh, really? That's great. And so that's when, without any fireworks or stuff, you things start to click. I've never been bored since I became a Christian. Wow. Never a bored day the rest of my life. Hmm. And suddenly the Bible's interesting. I didn't know what to do, Susie, when I read the Bible. I just knew, just write down the things you see. I would just write them down, write down. I got still got those notebooks. 
oh, look at this in John. Oh, look at this. I read John and Romans a lot. Look at this in John. I listened to Charles Stanley. I listened to J. Vernon McGee. I read uh, Oswald Chambers. That was probably it for a couple months. Oh, this is awesome. And I uh, still didn't, wasn't, didn't know how to have a happy family. I still wanted that. Still didn't know how to love Brenda. Still didn't know how to really make her happy. That's the mystery, you know, to all of us. I don't know how to do that, but but I suddenly it was like I was things were orderly. Things were the way that they should be. This was right. And then I met someone who started to show me how the I was how the pieces fit together. And he he was 11 years older than me. Name is Harold, and Harold is still to this day the most mature, wise, spiritual, beautiful man. I'm going to get emotional <clears throat> uh, that I've ever known, and I'm sure he's really not okay. But the Lord is, uh, you know, as a not uh, let Harold go crashing to the ground on me uh, yet. So, uh, and uh, you know, the phrase "few there are that finish well." So I want him to finish well, and I want to finish well too. But Harold began to show me how to understand the Bible and how it was very, very practical and how to read it and how to, how to connect the dots between the things that the Bible said and your actual everyday life. And he didn't hold my hand and pray together with me. He would talk about current events, and he would talk about them from a biblical perspective. Uh, he used the word scripture like it was this I'd never heard that word before scripture this wonderful thing and so I began to love the book and I began to love not only what was in the book but the personality that I could begin to get that I began to get to know behind the book the author of the book how he felt his emotions in the old testament with Israel when they were breaking his heart even when Moses was disobedient uh, and just how he felt when he, in the, with the words. And as I did that, Susie, he, Jesus, personally began to become very real to me. And I got the bonus of seeing him lived out in Harold and in my wife, Brenda. And so things really started changing. We're going to pause here talking to Gary Moreland. The title of his book is A Family Shaped by Grace. And he says you can make a difference in how your family members treat each other. You can feel better about how they treat you, and you can appreciate your family for who they are. We're going to talk about how to get there, just tangible, wise steps to implement in your family life. Uh, Title again of the book is A Family Shaped by Grace. We'll be back in a minute. great song. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Susie Larson. This is The Promise, talking to Gary Moreland. He wrote the book, A Family Shaped by Grace, How to Get Along with the People Who Matter Most. And his backstory is he was raised in an alcoholic home. He was an alcoholic himself for a time, for a number of years, and then came to Christ. And I want to get into the content of the book, especially the timeless tools of family peace. I'm going to read, just read them so friends can hear them, and we'll just grab as many as we can and work our way through them. But just this list may just bless your heart if you're listening today. Woo their hearts, get your peace right, accept your family and each other, each member unconditionally, accept your role and your limits, 
Be genuinely curious and attentive. Make sure you hear and are heard. Embrace God's vision for them, not your vision. Be God's access to your family. Encourage six times more like that. Reject passivity in relationships and situations. Model what you want to see. Be a safe place to launch and a soft place to land. Don't keep score. Be unoffendable. Do things together for others. Sprinkle drops of grace. Release the results, uh, the other person, and your role and your limits into God's hands. And use a mentor for the highest use of these tools. So let's go back to the beginning. Gary, talk about wooing their hearts and what that looks like. Isn't that whole thing awesome? Though, it Cindy? is. It's really great. I mean, that's not something that you come, that you think of or come up with or that anyone makes up. I mean, those are truly timeless things that are all in the Bible. And that is the Lord has made wor- the world and relationships to work if we'll co- when you when you cooperate. So. Uh, um, scolding isn't fun, I think. And uh, when you, uh, Renee, as soon as the finger gets raised up, don't you hate? Picture that you're in a conversation with someone. Say it's your parents, a brother or sister, uh, you, uh, your kids with you, or uh, husband and wife, or anyone, mother-in-law. They're looking you in the eye, and their finger comes up between you and their face. Well, here's one thing that you don't do, or every time you, are you always going to, has that ever changed anything? No. Has anyone ever said, you know, I'm glad you said that, because I'm actually under conviction now. I really hear how you feel, and I, I, I'm so sorry. I need to uh, stop doing that. We may say we're so sorry I need to stop doing that, but the reason we say that is because I don't want to see your raised finger again. It's not because you've done anything wrong. It's just want to get away from that kind of scolding attitude. So wooing um, is way feels way better, and we are automatically wired to respond to grace and to respond to gentleness and to respond to kindness and to respond to love. We're wired that way because the Lord wants us to live that way, and so he's made those kinds of things for us to to, to uh, automatically receive those and to respond to them. So what we're doing is taking advantage of how he's made us work and how he's automatically made family to be the most contagious place on earth. And if our families are a place where dysfunction is kind of, there's always dysfunction, I think what we want to do probably, Susie, right, is just to make it so it's not dominant, so our families aren't dominated by the dysfunction. Have it be, you know, have it, have it be just over there in the corner. It comes out sometimes, but normally we can keep it in its place. So the first one that you mentioned, getting your peace right, um, that's kind of like how I was talking a while ago about when I gave up and when you give up and when you have your personal relationship with the Lord, that if it, if you if I will start there and not try to get from my family or from Brenda or from my kids or from their life, not try to get a certain peace or happiness that I'm that they're not made to give me that only the Lord can give me a certain kind of deep peace. One of the great times in our marriage was uh, when Brenda told me a bunch of years after I became a believer. You know, we keep growing, right? So she's still growing. She's been a believer ten years before me, but she still she continued to grow. And so she got to an, an, a point where a big change came in her life, where this get your peace right became very real for her which was one of the highlights of my life because when she got her peace right, my life became so much better. 
And it was like I wanted to give back to her, you know. Okay, well, I want to get my piece right too because I don't know how you made me feel. I want to make you feel that way. But she said to me, poor Gary, well, I was trying to make you Jesus for me. It like it hit her hmm. what she was using me for, you know. And she realized, oh, you can't make me happy in a way that only Jesus can. I think it's easy to make that mistake. I wouldn't want to say somebody else is making it, but I really think that's an easy mistake to make. And a common and so we're looking, look, yeah, looking for a peace that your family just can't give you that. You gotta, I need to have, find my peace between the Lord and me. And then when I get that, then I can give, then I can be generous. And then if someone offends me, yeah, big deal. This doesn't hurt me. Mm. You can't take that away, anything away from me through offending me. I'm, I feel bad that you have to feel bad enough to say something that you think might be offensive. It's not, it's not offensive to me. So that's a beginning to me. Okay. How about this one? Accept your family and each member unconditionally. That takes work, um, but it's a call and it's biblical. Totally. And when you start, the, the beauty is when you start doing something, and if, since we're already wired for that to have a good effect, it makes you want to do it more. Because when, how do, how do you respond if someone, if, if when you're around them, you feel like they actually have totally accepted you? That you are okay in their book, that there's not some hoop you have to jump through, that you don't have to change and you don't have to be different in order for them to treat you right or to give you love or to respect you. And you feel suddenly really good in their eyes. When I feel totally accepted by someone and there, it's not that I don't have anything I have to live up to, I don't, it, it, in, in a judgmental way. I want to live up to the high things they want of me, but. I don't feel like they're going to judge me. I feel like they really care about me. It makes me open up with them, which is what you would want a family member to do, right? It makes me show them the real me, which is what we want a family member to do, show us the real you. It makes me feel appreciated and loved. And when I do that, then I start opening up to them. And when I begin to open up to them, then they can start to hear my heartbeat. And when they start hearing my heartbeat, they start seeing we start seeing in our family member when they open up, they start seeing what the Lord is up to in my life. And it might be something very different from what I want him to be up to in my family member's life. Well, but I've got my piece right. So, Susie, you don't have to be a physicist for me to be satisfied with your life. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be uh, an attorney or a person on the radio or a minister. You don't have to be anything, Susie, because I see how the Lord's working in your heart, and I deeply appreciate what he's doing, and I want to cooperate with him because I love you, and I accept you, and I know he's made you a certain way. He's wired you a certain way. He's up to something in your life, and I care about you, and I want to know what that is because I want to go along with it. Hmm. I want to go on that adventure with you in your own life. So these things start to gain a big momentum. And even if you just can do one of these tools a little bit, it makes a difference. You don't have to do them in order. You don't have to do all of them. Just one can start to make a difference. Indeed. How about this one? Um, accept your role and your limits. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, I can't control anybody. And we can I – I think there might be a lot of frustration when we want people to be something that we have in mind for them to be, whether it's – we'll just put it this way – go to college. Now, of course, we might want them to go to college because we believe that's best for them. 
But, I mean, you can only fight that for a certain amount of time, and I can only control a certain amount. So my limits are that I can't really control you or make you do anything, and I've been placed in my family for the Lord to influence you through me, not for me to dictate what I think is best, as if I can come up with what's best for you, like I know you so well. I know what God's up to. I know what's best for you. I Sometimes I may not know. I mean, I want to, you know, depending on how I'm paying attention to the, the kinds of things the Lord's doing. So it's influence. I accept my role. I accept the limits of what I can do. I accept my role uh, to influence. And so I want to be what I would call, uh, if you go look in the mirror, each one of us can go look in the mirror. And when we look in the mirror, we see a treasure that has been placed, a treasure of grace that's been placed in our families by the Lord to be his access to our family. And when I look in the mirror, that's what I want to be, his access to my family. And there are limits to my own abilities uh, to you know, influence my family and bring certain things about that I think are best. Mm. Talk about this one. Be curious and attentive. Well, when somebody, some, uh, when you look someone in the eye, and you don't have an agenda other than uh, so 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 Susie, how how did you how did you get on the path that you're on? How did your how did your ministry begin? If I ask you that, and I'm looking at you, and I'm sincerely interested, and I'm not asking you that question because I have some agenda or because I have, I'm just doing it because. And you would think this because you're interested. Why would you be interested? Gary, you're interested. Well, you're just interested because I'm a celebrity. But let's say that that wouldn't even be a temptation, let's say, okay? Say it's someone that's not a, not that way to where you would think that. It's like, I must have value. They must think I'm worth something to want to know what makes me tick and who I am. And so curiosity and attention send the message that this person has value and that they are honored and that you care about them and that they might say something that's really worth your time. And you can you do I want to do that with Brenda. I want her to do it with me. I want to do it with strangers. I want to do it with people in my family. But when you do that, when some, you know how we know how we are, when someone is curious and gives us attention, it causes us to soften and to care about them and to open up. And that's super healthy, healthy mm-hmm. family relationship. Okay, how about this one? Make sure that you hear and are heard. Yeah, how many times do we say, I, t- I didn't mean that that way. I told you, I, t- I said this, but that's not how I meant. And so then we get mad because they misunderstood what we meant. Well, if... If I'm the one talking, I kind of got to take responsibility for how something is heard. And so I want to kind of make sure that someone understands that, what I'm saying. And it's kind of easy, you know, maybe to judge someone the first little bit about what someone means or what they think. Take the first couple things that they say. Oh, and you got them pigeonholed on exactly what they meant or what you think. But that's often a mistake to make, and I can come to a conclusion really quick. And then when I come to that conclusion, I begin treating that person as if my conclusion is correct. And then I wonder why they're offended by me. Well, it's because I'm treating them a certain way that they're not. That's actually not who they are. That's not how they feel. That's not what they think. But I'm treating them as if they are that way uh, because I came to some conclusion real quick and I didn't really listen to them. 
uh, or try to get to the bottom of what they were saying. Of course, it goes the other way, too. They can do that with us. That's why we don't want them to do that with us. And so I want to make sure someone isn't tempted to come to some quick conclusion on something I mean. So I have to take responsibility to help them hopefully to understand. If you're going to get mad at me for something I feel, that's fair. But you don't want someone mad at you and you don't feel that way. They just think you think that, right. you know? Exactly. It's communications. Yeah. Big talking to Gary Moreland today. His book is A Family Shaped by Grace, How to Get Along with the People Who Matter Most. Three copies. Would love to get a copy into your hands. Email me, Susie. And Susie's spelled S-U-S-I-E. I I see it misspelled, and your email bounces back a few times before it gets to me. S-U-S-I-E. Susie at MyFaithRadio.com. If you've got a question, include it, and I'll try to get it into the conversation here. Don't forget the mailing address, and we will be back in a minute. that you're having a really great day. Really glad you tuned in today. I'm Susie Larson. This is The Promise. Talking to Gary Moreland. His book is titled A Family Shaped by Grace. How to Get Along with the People Who Matter Most. We've been walking through a list of timeless tools that promote family peace. We've talked about how to woo their hearts, to get your peace right, where you're getting your peace from the Lord. You're not looking to your kids or your spouse um, as your source of peace, and you put undue pressure on them when you do that. You accept your family and each member unconditionally. You accept your role and your limits. You know, God's grace makes up for the rest. Be genuinely curious and attentive. Make sure that you hear and are heard. Well, the next one here, Gary, is embrace God's vision for them, not your vision. That's a big one, and I think that's a uh, result of a lot of disharmony in families when especially parents are trying to conform the kids into their own image <laughs> you know say more if you would if i've been doing uh, if i've been uh, if i've accepted my role to influence and not to dictate and if i'm getting my peace right and if i've been curious and attentive and i've heard my child's heartbeat and uh which uh, and and hear what uh, uh, and it's hard that's hard to do uh in a neutral way when you're a parent, but let's just say I can do that. Then, then I would begin to, if I can begin to hear hear their heartbeat. Then I'm going to get a clue of what God's vision is for them. And so that's the vision that I want to begin to embrace. And the thing crazy about kids is it starts with uh, we'll just use boys because we got some boys. Uh, Thomas the Tank Engine. And then they're, and then they move on to dinosaurs, and then they move on to other things. And sometimes, maybe when they're ten or less or so, they'll latch on to something. And somehow, as parents, we might start begin to see, because as they latch on to more grown-up things, we start to see like those them uh, with an identity of that. For example, hockey player, or doctor. Or you know other things, and we and then but but if their interest changes like it does, right? And they they may keep that interest for several years, but they may then change that. Now they're 13 and they're changing, and that can be a challenge because we've started seeing them a certain way. And but the Lord wasn't done with them, and the Lord says, "I'm I haven't stopped on this road. We are we're passing this intersection." 
And we're going, well, I thought we were going down that road. No, we're not going down that road. We're going to keep on going here. That can be challenging as a parent. And it's the same with a, you know, I mean, uh, with your spouse uh, or any other family member. Again, I think it's very trust, uh, honoring to the Lord and trusting to him when I am wanting to take my direction from him and his cues in that person. And I think it's very honoring and respectful of the other person when I'm doing that too, because I'm, I have my peace right. I have no agenda on anything that you want to be uh, interested in. I want you to be uh, happy and I want you to be a godly person and I want you to uh, be bearing the fruit of the spirit. And I want you to on this certain directions in that way. And, but I'm going to be patient while the Lord works those things out. Again, it goes back to us really needing to have, as you said, our peace, right, our identity set in him. That gives us the freedom to give them the freedom to be who they are. I love this one. Be God's access to your family. And that's that's something I already am. Uh, Will I cooperate with the Lord in that or not? Because he has things in mind to do in my family. He wants to, he wants my family. I think he wants my family living by grace. Uh, grace is that huge message that you know is, that the gospel just envisions, and so since he wants that, then I want to cooperate with that, and that I am supposed to be his access. And then, of course, I would say, well, aren't there some other big people, grown-ups around here, that to be God's access to my family? It's like, yeah, but I, I can't do anything with them. I, I'm not responsible for them. I'm only responsible for me. So, what do I think? the Lord would want to have access to my family for, to grant patience and to grant love and to grant a godly direction and to grant a desire to care about people and to have people have be rightly related to each other and to Christ. So if I think that's what he wants with my family and, I, and, he, and I'm his access, then I have to, would want to model those things with my family. Mm. I would love this one too. Encourage six times more. Explain what you mean there. Uh, we need encouragement way more than we would think. And I've read some things, uh, uh, kind of like work surveys, that a lot of different ones. And the numbers come out different, but it turns out that, and we know this, I mean, if, if uh, someone complimented you, Susie, about this, and then they complimented you about that, and then they said, oh, but there was one thing about this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and that was a critique. Then they came back and complimented you again. Say you had three compliments in there and one critique. When we got done with the conversation, you'd be coming back to that critique. Yeah, that's great, but let's go back to that one thing. I guess it's part of the fall or something. The critiques and the criticisms automatically get our attention, and they seem to weigh far more than what we would want them to weigh. In fact, they weigh so much that it looks like, from the studies I've seen, it looks like a person is not even going to feel encouraged until the weight of the encouragement is six, at least six times more than the weight of the criticism. Wow. And we usually have it backwards. Yep. Boy, I love and this. That's, who can do that? Right. We can just move it a little bit, just mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Talk about this one, model what you want to see. Well, you know, telling people, what to do is uh, probably the default in all of us, right? And so raising your finger and telling someone how to act or what to do or what you're sick of is probably the way to do it. But you know, the stereotype of it, Susie, would be to yell at someone, I'm sick of you yelling. 
I'm tired of you need to stop yelling. And you're yelling when you're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that would be like a joke, you know. But put that with any other thing that we want to see in terms of the mood or atmosphere or feelings in our family. And the way that you that we do it is we model it ourselves. And so if you want want family members to be gentle with each other, then we have to be we we are, we're gentle with them. And we're patient and we give grace and we're calm. Uh, so you just have to you model it and it can take a long time and it can be very frustrating. And it's a lot less frustrating to just tell someone. But like we said at the beginning, no one usually says, you know, thanks for uh, really critique criticizing me about that because I really see the light in that. You know, that rarely happens. But modeling is contagious. Yeah, it just puts it presents a standard for people to see and deep inside whether they, um, you know, it convicts them or inspires them. They kind of know. I think people kind of know that's a good place to land, so to speak. Talk about this one. We just got a couple minutes here before it's time to wrap and pray. Uh, don't keep score. And another one after that, be unoffendable. If we can get both of those in, that'd be great. Uh, we all automatically keep score, but we never keep score of our wrongs towards someone else. We only keep score of their wrongs towards us. So we only keep score of when we win. In other words, if you owe me more than I owe you, I win. And I kept score of your offenses against me. I didn't keep score of my offenses against you. However, you kept score of my offenses against you. I didn't. You didn't keep score of your offenses against me. I did. So I think I win, and you think you win. And we have an attitude towards each other, and we're both sort of right. But that leads nowhere, and if you are together long enough, I'll just use marriage for an example, you can end up hating each other because there's going to be enough things that have happened throughout your married life for you to, if you keep score of all of them, you'd be really, really upset and really angry. But we would, we can say, well, I'm sure glad the Lord doesn't keep score of mine, right? So that's not just a spiritual saying. That's a true way that Lord's created the world to yeah. move. Love keeps no account. Say a word, if you would, real quick about unoffendability, being unoffendable. Um <clears throat> That's I, I consider that almost a manipulation uh, that if you can treat – if someone – my dad was real good at that. And so it's like, oh, you would feel like he, he – uh, you had hurt him somehow. And so that's how you get people to treat you right and to leave you alone. Is to be uh, offendable, you mean? To be offended. If you're offended, you're treating them to leave you alone. Mm -hmm. If you're offended, you're treating them, don't you ever do that again because I'm going to make it not worth your time at all. Don't you act like that with me again because because I'm so offended and I'm so hurt. It's like, okay, I'll never do that again. Of course, the problem is no one will ever hear the truth from you. Yeah. Because you're just not going to do that because – not because – and so they don't know that – what is really true, because you're not going to tell them because they're going to be you're offended. Throwing, but throwing if you're unoffendable, yeah, you can have honesty. Mm. I'm going to pause here. Gary, I wonder if you pray for that friend listening today. who They don't have peace in the family, but they long for peace and relationships and grace. Would you pray for that person? Sure. Uh, Lord, your sufficiency is completely adequate for every emotion, every fear, every circumstance, every situation that we have. Your love and your comfort and your grace are completely sufficient, and you want us to know that. 
you want us to experience that. And Father, I pray that uh, right now for anyone who is open to experiencing your sufficiency, Lord, that you would show it and that you would prove it so that you would be seen as completely and absolutely trustable and worshipable and that your great comfort and love, Lord, would really be felt and would spread. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Gary, thanks for joining us today. You've been listening. Thank you, Susie. Yeah, bless you. Yes, God bless you, sir. You've been listening to Live the Promise. I'm Susie Larson. In just a bit, you'll find a podcast of today's program up on our website at myfaithradio.com. Title of Gary Moreland's book, again, in case you're interested, is A Family Shaped by Grace How to Get Along with the People Who Matter Most. And remember this the Lord wants you to last long and finish strong. He is the one who keeps you strong to the end. Have a great day.